I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with interior design business coach, Melissa Galt. We're talking about the business of design and fame in the family. This one is fun, trust me. And if you pay close attention, you will learn some strategies for upsizing profits of your design business. Seriously, Melissa Galt claims that her superpower is calling you on your BS. Seriously, and she'll do it. The fame in her family, as you'll hear, gives her a unique perspective on the designers who must deal with big personalities. You're going to love this conversation. You're going to learn a lot, and you're going to laugh a lot too. And we'll be right back with design business coach, Melissa Galt, right after this. For well over a year now, you have been hearing incredible conversations, interviews, and panels with amazing creative talent as part of our Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series presented by Thermosol. It has been and continues to be an absolute joy working with the entire team at Thermosol from the top down. This multi-generational family business has been producing the gold standard in steam generators, saunas, steam showers, and steam shower accessories for decades. Thermosol is the original steam shower with technology that is state-of-the-art, made and manufactured in the United States. The company's history with steam showers started by David Altman in 1958. Murray Altman acquired Thermosol's steam bath division in 1989, and the company is now led by Mitch Altman from their world-class production facility in Round Rock, Texas. The most successful designers and architects are using steam showers to maximize wellness, relaxation, and enjoyment for their clients. Thermosol is a staunch advocate for the design trade, and I am so proud to have them as a presenting partner of Convo by Design and the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series. If not familiar with the entire range of Thermosol products, please check out thermosol.com. I will start by saying that I love when I hear the words, you can record me at any time. <laughs> well, I kind of figure if I'm going to say it, I better be prepared for it to be on the evening news. <laughs> exactly. That is so true. And, and it's so funny. I, I had mentioned before I hit the little red button, as anyone who listens to Convo by Design, if you've listened for a while, you will have heard me say a couple of things over and over ad nauseum. And that's just part of a, a quirky personality disorder, I suppose. But one of the things that I always do is, you know, we, we, we talk a little bit before I hit record and sometimes it's just absolute gold. We were talking about podcasting and production um, and concepts for the design industry. And it's, it's really, it made me think what you and I do is not so different. It's very different in the way that we do it. A and with that, I, I kind of want to lead into your story a little bit. Tell me the origin story, um, because I think those who are not familiar with you, Melissa, will will find your story absolutely fascinating and wonderful the same way that I do. Well, there's multiple origin stories, so we'll pick one. <laughs> um, I was very firmly entrenched on my mother's path for me. Uh, before I entered the world of interior design, I had wanted to be a costume designer following in the footsteps of my godmother, uh, Edith Head. And I got into prep for that, but I felt that I got in based on her recommendation, not on my own merit. And I wasn't comfortable with that. So I turned that back 
and went to, you know, I, I attended boarding school and boarding school is supposed to prepare you for college. And my goal was to do boarding school and skip college completely and just go straight into the working world. Well, I did that. The problem was back then, straight into the working world meant retail and selling shoes at Ed Mitchell's department store in Westport, Connecticut. Well, two weeks into that, that little adventure, I got home in the afternoon and I looked at my mother and I said, I want to go to college. And mother just about broke into song and dance at that point. And my idea was University of California, Santa Barbara, University of Colorado, Denver. And mother said, Cornell. And I'm like, what? I don't have the GPA. I don't have the this. I don't have the that. But my mother was very persistent, AKA pushy. So I applied to get her off my back with the full expectation I would not get in. And my plan backfired. I got in and I understood the value of that education. So I continued on that path. She chose hotel and restaurant management for me because she knew one of my issues was it had to be specific. I didn't want liberal arts. It was too vague. I wasn't a party girl. I was very driven. I was very ambitious and I was very academic. So I did the four years at Cornell, dove into the field and within 12 months, mom died. And it took me five long years of moving city, states, and companies every eight months, climbing the ladder of purchasing. So I have one of my superpowers is procurement, but climbing that ladder. And then I had that epiphany one day, the lesson in mom's passing is do what you love and the money will follow. So I stopped and I said, okay, I had started out in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, and I thought, wait, Birmingham is super cheap. I can do Birmingham for six months, full-time in school and still carry myself without a full-time job. So that's what I did. And then fast forward two years later, I jumped to Atlanta. Um, and 18 months after that, I wound up launching my own business very unexpectedly because I went head to head with my manager over taking a vacation that she said I didn't have. And I did have it. And I got my vacation paycheck and it was my last paycheck. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> so it was a really upside down beginning too. Cause at that point I was $70,000 in debt. I was living in a cramped apartment. I had huge credit card bills. Um, the hole in my heart that I felt from mom's loss, I filled with stuff. I, shopaholic, not a pretty picture. And, um, it only took me 18 months to be debt-free and earning six figures. And this was pre-internet, pre-social media, pre-any of that stuff. I was completely focused on get clients, get clients, get clients, get clients, get clients. I didn't network. I didn't connect with any other designers. I just head down and focused. So that's one of the origin stories. <laughs> No, I love that. Uh, and it's really interesting. I, I didn't know that part about you. Um, you and I have a very similar uh, backstory. You know, my, my father died when I was right out of high school, um, off on my own, moved around same way you did uh, a lot of places. I got, I got married early. So I, that was, I got married early, didn't get in debt. But, you know, the rest of it is very, very similar. And then trying to figure out and being in broadcast. Uh, and then after 20 years in broadcast saying, you know what, I, I kind of, I have a hole in my heart and I need to go fill it. 
and it was surrounding myself with amazing creatives and doing this. So um, I get that. I understand that fully. And it's interesting. So talk to me about the design and the consulting and sort of the two parts, because there's something about doing, there's something about teaching. And I understand that too, because, you know, I'm a, I'm a soccer coach. I coach high school soccer. I coach club soccer. There is something about teaching others a skill and then watching them go do it, which is probably, it has to be one of the most gratifying things in life. It is. And I've been a teacher for forever because when I was struggling to get my own business off the ground, because that kind of firing happened really quickly. (laughs) The first thing I did was I went to Emory University, I went to Spruill Arts Center, and I went to Oglethorpe University all in Atlanta and said, I like to teach professionals about design. And I already had a stint at University of Alabama in Birmingham where I'd done the very same thing. So I had a letter of recommendation. All three of them said yes to me. And that got me started while I was doing catering kitchen, you know, nights and weekends, I was doing the teaching the other nights. And that was how I landed my first clients was through teaching because they realized after having me for six weeks, they were like, well, I really like Melissa. I can't do this design stuff. I don't have the time. I'm going to pay her. And so I found that was a really brilliant avenue for marketing. It also got my name very widely out there. And It wasn't until five years into my business that I really had that kind of push of moment where it was the seventh day of my work week. It was a Sunday and I stomped down to my office because I was like, I can't believe I have to work again today. And I'm the one who created all of it. So (laughs) nobody else's fault. And I swept up all 40 of my client folders and it was myself and one intern and a part-time assistant at that point. And I swept up all 40 and I laid them out on the table and I started staring at them, trying to figure out how I was going to fix my problem in my business. And I had the epiphany about my ideal client. And that was a game changer for me. But when I did that, it suddenly gave me back time so that I could start networking. And it was when I started networking with fellow designers and we started talking numbers and, and I was like, huh my results are five times higher than theirs. And I knew it wasn't my talent. I knew it wasn't. I knew there were other designers far more talented than I was, far more original than I was, but they didn't have the systems. They didn't have marketing engines in their business. They were very scattered. They were very unfocused. And I was like, oh, well, I can help you with that. Well, I can help you with that. And coaching wasn't a thing back then. So this was just sort of me being friendly and nice and and helping. And then eventually today it's 98% of my business, 2% design still. And if that 2% disappears, I'm fine. Cause I don't miss all the moving parts and pieces. I know them well, really, really well. So hold the phone here because this is, this is something that I, I kind of want to drill down on a, a little bit, two parts to that. The design part of it, I'm, I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma, working on a design house project, and we've been specifying product based on di- designer submissions since last August. I'm hoping that the delivery notification that I got is actually accurate, that I'll get it later this month, August, April, May. Uh, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. 
so I get the part where 2% of your, of your business is the design part. And if the design part goes away, 90% of the headaches probably go away with it. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to ask you about is you talked about a marketing engine. So I, I talked to a lot of designers and it just stuns me prior to the pandemic, there was a certain lack of attention and focus that many, if not most designers take with their business, because it's, I'm a designer, I have to design, I'm too busy to do the other things. The other things are what make the business run smoother. Mm -hmm. That was before the pandemic. After the pandemic and where we are today, if you're if you don't have an organizational system in your business, you you are constantly underwater. You are constantly underwater. How has that affected your teaching, your consulting? How has that affected that side of the business? Well, my business is way up, obviously, um, with designers being, first of all, very flush with a lot of cash flow right now, and also being stretched in and running super hard. And one of the big pieces I do is help with team building. And we do it rapidly and we do it in a balanced way so that you have both boots on the ground and you have outsource because I want you to remain nimble and flexible inside your business. I don't want you being weighted down by a lot of employees when things are going to shift because they are going to shift. And I really am a big proponent of nimble and flexible and focusing on zone of genius. I want you to drill down. Let's find your zone of genius. And then I want your team working in their respective zones of genius. I was coaching a client last night and she said, well, so-and-so on my team doesn't do this well. I said, that's great. That's good news. That's not her zone of genius. This is her zone of genius over here. So keep her in this lane over here. Let's get somebody else in to do this part. Don't force a fit. Don't cater to weaknesses. It makes no sense. Cater to strengths and bring those up and make them shine and then outsource the weaknesses or delete them. Maybe you don't need to do that. So that's what one of my key focuses is because if you don't have the right team members in the right slots or you're afraid to hire because you don't have the resources, I'm like, well, whoa, wait a minute here. You're going to reclaim so much time and money by hiring the right people that you're going to have plenty of time and resources. And that's a big epiphany for a lot of designers. You know, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I'm going to, I'm going to challenge one assertion though. Um, when you talk about hiring the right people, mm -hmm. I, and by the way, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm, I'm challenging the idea because having experience with this, especially lately, Melissa, gosh, it has become so hard. Um, you know, and, and I hear this every week in talking to certain, to some designers and architects showrooms, you know, everyone I know, and I say everyone that's maybe 1% hyperbole, but virtually everyone I know is hiring in some capacity or another mm -hmm. showrooms, looking for salespeople, design firms, looking for junior designers, architect firms, looking for office staff or junior architects even to the upper levels, the upper levels are almost harder to find, are almost, sorry, easier to find because that's, that's an economic negotiation. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That's just based on financial consideration. You have people who have who have proven themselves, who do what they do. You can look at their body of work and they, you can say, you know what? I get what you do. What's it going to cost me to have you come work for me? That's an easy conversation. It, I mean, it's challenging, but it's easy. Simple, not easy, simple. But the junior part, you know, millennials, Gen Z, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bash anybody, but I will tell you that there is a fundamental disconnect, Mm -hmm. generational disconnect right now, when it comes to work, workload, the job satisfaction, the concept between me and we, and finding the right people, because as is, has always been the case, there is the interview conversation and there is the real conversation once you get hired. And those two often don't mix and match. How, how do you consult with your clients on how to find that right person? And you talk about zone of genius and, and I get it, but when the rubber meets the road, they actually have to perform. And sometimes there's a fundamental difference in that, in that execution versus the interview and conversation. There absolutely can be. It's not an easy process right now by a long shot. I've had clients who had somebody climb on board and within two weeks, that person comes to them and says, gee, I don't think this is for me. I'm out of here. Whoa, it's it's a challenge. It's not going to be easy right now. There's no way. But it doesn't mean you don't do it. It doesn't mean you don't embark on the process and you don't try new ways to explore the fit. Because there is a place where you have to explore the fit. I don't believe in trials and probationary periods that make somebody sound like they're a criminal. I do believe in an explore the fit period. And sometimes that explore the fit could be a week, sometimes it's 30 days, sometimes it's 90 days. But you also have to have a very strong onboard process and you have to have training and you have to have metrics and you have to support that new hire, which is often not what not what happens because they get tossed in and like, let's see if you sink or swim. Well, that's not really fair. And that's part of the challenge. And believe me, I've had ill fit show up at my doorstep before and Hired because I needed a warm body. And then I was like, yeah, Melissa, you don't need a warm body like this. <laughs> Just let them go. Right. Um, I do believe in hiring more slowly, firing quickly. I absolutely believe that. And I also believe in culture fit. So there's a space here where you can ask all the typical interview questions in the world. But if you haven't checked all of their social media, if you haven't asked them questions about So magic wand waved over your head and you could go anywhere tomorrow and do anything, all expenses paid. Where would you go and what would you do? And listen for, oh, I'd be on the beach eating bonbons. Okay, well, this might not be somebody who's going to fit our kind of drive. (laughs) Um, The beautiful thing about people is more often than not, if you ask the right questions, they'll tell you who they are. And as Maya Angelou wisely said, when somebody tells you who they are, believe them. You're listening to my conversation with design business coach, Melissa Galt. We'll be right back. If you've been listening to Convo by Design for a while now, you have heard me tell you about Article. Great style. Really, it's as simple as that with Article. Things have been challenging for design professionals and their clients for, what, two years, two plus years now? You know this already. What you might not know is that it doesn't have to be if you're looking for exceptionally beautiful modern furniture. 
article provides a simple and easy way to creating a beautiful modern space because Article works direct with their manufacturers on production of unique and stunning pieces. Then they work directly by providing this well-crafted design directly to you. This direct relationship means you aren't wondering where your furniture is and you're getting it for an incredible value. What could possibly be better than that? In many cases, the shipping is flat rate, which means no surprises right? Even more, their culture and service are rooted in their core values. Customer obsession, doing it differently, ownership mindset, winning together. If you're a designer, architect, or residential developer, you must check out their trade program. Discounts, special support, and exclusive perks. Article has the beautiful modern furniture you're looking for at an incredible price, at an incredible value, and you need to check them out. Check out article.com, or if you go to the show notes, there is a specific link which will take you, if you're in the trade, directly to their trade program. You have to see it to really believe it. Thank you, Article. And I don't know who to credit the quote to, but basically it's uh, past behavior is is the best metric for future performance or future behavior. Absolutely true. Same idea. You know, along those same lines, I would also challenge the assertion. It's funny because everything you're saying is 100% true. Totally believe it. At the same time, and that is the, that is the nice way of saying, but when you, when it comes to hiring, and again, I come back to this, there was a, um, a, a, a guest was telling me a story off, off mic, off air. And the story was basically, you know, and not giving too much away, but millennial, uh, doing the work with a team was not trained, was not, the expectation is you ask the question, hey, how flexible are you? How nimble are you? How creative are you? We have a situation basically saying, I'm going to hire you, but you need to understand that our organization has virtually no structure. We're only loosely an organization. We're really a composition of people who are putting out fires all day because that's how the business is structured. And then they say, I can do that. I'm up for the challenge. And then when they come in, the word was uh, off-putting. They were off-put by being asked to do something that was actually within the scope of work, but they they perceived it to be below them. This is a, a millennial, you know, new hire, you know, new to the job force. Like not even not even really, you know, came from retail. Came from this was a, this was a first experience. And to say, well, you know, I was I was put off by being asked to do this. It's like, okay, that's that's great. I'm sorry that you were put off by doing that, but you know, that is your job. And I think what that goes to is we talk about we're we are a creative industry, and in our creative industry, there isn't a lot of structure. You know, I, we're not IBM. IBM notoriously had that training program, right, which was just amazing. But that's not Goldman Sachs, same thing. But these guys also work 80, 100 hours a week and they know what they're in for because they're trained to do that. How do you advise creatives to take the time that they don't have readily available and allocate that time to structuring their business in a way that is so successful for everyone involved? Okay, so one of the things I love to advocate and show them how to do is you bring that hire on board and you let that hire document the processes that they're learning and start to build that standard operating procedures manual that you need to have as a living, breathing document inside your business. You don't have time to document it, but that hire does. 
And one of the things you need to make sure they have are really great communication skills. And you need to be willing to look at the documentation they're creating on a weekly basis to make sure they're on track, they're doing it well, they're doing it to your standard, and you need to give them guidelines on it. But they start to build that. And each person you have on your team should be creating their own standard operating procedures chapter in your massive manual based on their experience that you check on. You go in and you look and you say, oh, gee, you know what? I, I think we can be more efficient than that. Let's do this instead. Or maybe your team member is going to come to you and say, you know, we've always done it this way. I've got a better way I'd like to try. May I try it? Absolutely, you can try it. Let's make sure we put that in there. Does that, do you know what? that make sense? Do you, do you know what? Not only does that make sense, but as you were explaining that, um, absolute genius, by the way, absolute genius. And while you were explaining that, I was I was thinking, I did a panel years ago, live event, when we were still doing live events um, at the West Edge Design Fair. I had Genevieve Trousdale. Mm -hmm. And she, I had her on a panel with Michael Berman and Timothy Corrigan. Because Genevieve, I had, prior to that year, I was at LCDQ legends. And I had, I spoke with Bunny Williams, who was telling me this story about when she was interning for Parrish Hadley. And I, I just started thinking about this and the idea of interning and working for, for others. And something you just said totally brought that memory back to the front on this panel. That's what Genevieve was saying. She went to work for Michael Berman and had this one experience and then went to work for Timothy and had this totally different experience with Tim. And during the process, she crafted this Bible, basically, that both of them apparently still use to this day. And yeah, yeah no, you're 100% absolutely true. It's a super powerful way to do it yeah. without having to do it yourself, because no principal ever has the time to sit down and download all the processes but other people are already doing them. So you task those people with creating those pieces. And I remember one summer during college, I went and worked at the Colony Square in Atlanta in the HR department. And I was tasked with creating the employee handbook. So if I could do that in a summer, you can task the people in your business to do what they're doing every day, but to show it in a written format or a graphic format for that matter, and then have maybe an outsource pull the whole thing together and make sure it, it's cohesive and looks good. And you could even hire an HR consultant to run through it if you wanted to. But yeah, it's so, so valuable when you so, do it. Yeah. So let's, one, one of the reasons, the main reason I wanted to have you on the show is because, like I said, I'm a, I'm a fan and um, I love what you do. And I think it's important, you know, it's not, it's not for everybody in the trade, but within our design community, there are people that could absolutely benefit from, from your consulting and what you do. How do you, how do you decide if a new client is right for you and what types of designers do you work with best? Oh, it's a loaded question. Um, I have a couple of different programs, so it kind of depends on the program. It's my private coaching. Um, a lot of who I'm working with right now, I have it split between those who have teams, teams of four, six, 10, and those who have a team of one or two. Um, but their burning desire is to make significant 
transformative change within their business. Often it's a major rate shift they want to make. They want to move from hourly to flat fees. Um, it's also building the team. Often I'm stepping into a place where they need more team. They need to delegate more off their plate. They are stretched and running hard. They're sacrificing their life to the hungry jaws of their business. And they know that I have the ability to show them how to recreate that in a way they can be home at five every day, dinner with family, and they can have their weekends off. So I believe that a successful business is one that informs and inspires, fuels and feeds and serves and supports the whole of your life. It doesn't swallow you whole. And I don't really care how much money you're making. You could make all the money in the world. If you don't have time for your life, you're not a success. So yeah. that's sort of my, my litmus test. But it's you have to be really committed and I have to be able to see that you'll do the work. So one of my preliminaries after I've had a discovery with you is I'll say, I'd like to see a vision board. I don't care if it's digital. I don't care if it's physical, but I want you to share a vision board of where do you want to be in 12 months? And once that's produced and back to me, and what I also gauge on is how fast did they get that back to me? I work with rapid action takers. So I don't want the same things on our list of focus week after week after week. We meet every other week anyway. I do have some clients, they have access to me between times. And I have some that really avail themselves of that, which is awesome. I have others that don't. But just having me every other week is enough for them to really make a lot of strides forward. I also get very involved in the team. Um, client I talked to yesterday, we talked about her two in team. And I said, would you like me to have a conversation with each one? I'd already met them. And she said, yeah, I would really appreciate that. All right, let me see what I can do. We'll flesh out their job descriptions, flesh out their zones of genius and get them back to where they're doing their highest and best good. And then we'll know who we need to hire but I get very involved. It's, it's almost like having a ghost team member on board. Um, and I really, really enjoy that. And then I also have my Go Beyond Intensive program that's coming up in May and then it's coming up in November. And that's just for 12 talented interior designers ready to make a significant change. We have four full days together. And then they have the option of a group coaching program that follows that for 90 days. And then I'm working on another program that'll be launching. That's a six month um, soup to nuts. You get a training recorded each week. And then you also get me group coaching each week as well for rapid transformation. I did a beta test on that last year and it was really, really successful. So I love what I see. Yeah, that is awesome. That's very cool. And by the way, if you're interested in any of those programs, go back and check the show notes for the podcast and you will find a way to connect with Melissa and you can, you can go from there. You'll, you'll get all the information you need. Melissa wanted to shift gears for just a second mm -hmm. um, because you have the benefit of, I, I mentioned to you before we, we were talking earlier about how my background, you know, was, was in broadcast and NASCAR. And I worked with other, other sports as well. And one of the things that I always thought, I always thought was so cool was when these guys like, you know, like Dale Earnhardt Jr. comes into the sport of his incredibly famous father. And it's like, well, how did he get to be so good? Well, he learned at the foot of the master, you know? And so it was just kind of in, in indelibly 
you know, marked on his, on his person, on his, on every element of his being, like, this is what being a race car driver means. And this is how you do it. So you have, you, you come from a very rich heritage and lineage in, in the creative arts, mm-hmm. architecture and creativity. And I wanted you to talk about that a little bit. And I, I wanted to, to know specifically if so, and how you think that might have aided you mm. in your, in, in your path. Okay. Well, I'll just, I'll just get the names out there right now. Um, Frank Lloyd Wright's my great granddad and my mother is the late actress Anne Baxter, um, known best for 10 commandments and all about Eve. My godmother's Edith head. She's not related by blood, but I, I like to joke that I'm related to lots of famous dead people. So I have a very strong sense of irreverence around it. I honestly, what will really surprise you, I think, is that I did not know that great grandfather was significant until I was 30 years old in design school and he was popping up in my textbooks. And I'm like, huh, huh, that's great granddad. (laughs) I really was not raised knowing that he was a big deal. Now, mother took us to a couple of his properties and, you know, we played with our cousins who were part of the family also, but it was very grounded. And because mother had her own very large career and I like to tease that we were decorative accessories to a very large life. It, it didn't, it really didn't sink in. Um, mother was the star for us. And great grandfather was a big architect person who made cool buildings. I did not know until 30. So I kept it very quiet. I never used it in my business at all. I didn't want to bring those forward because I wasn't sure I could live up to it. So there's a double-edged sword. What you said is really interesting about Dale Earnhardt, but for me, it meant I had to work twice as hard to prove who I was without all of that so that I could stand as Melissa Galt and not be, because I'd spent a lot of time being somebody's daughter, being somebody's great-granddaughter. Boarding school, I was so-and-so's daughter the whole time. And it was really, really frustrating. And that's through no fault of mine. And it's through no fault of my mother's, but it's something that came down from the faculty to the students. And I had my roommate the first year walk in there go, oh, you're Ann Baxter's daughter. And I just thought, oh God, no, I can't, you can't recover from that. You never get your own identity. So I, I have my mother's work ethic. I definitely do. I have my mother's passion for my work. I'm very, very blessed to have that. And in the case of great grandfather, I get a tickle because I look at the man, not as a God. I look at him as a genius in architecture. And then he's a dreadful misogynist when it comes to women and the stories and the, you know, so I, I love his, I love his ego. I love his confidence. I love his arrogance. I love all of those pieces about him. And I think that he's a wonderful character to study because so many creatives lack that belief in themselves. And he had that to his core, which is so valuable to be able to bring that confidence is an aphrodisiac for clients. They want a designer, an architect, a builder to step forth and lead them 
They don't want to lead. They don't know what the heck they're doing. So to have that, you know, there are people who say, oh, well, he was an egotist. And he was this and this. I'm like, wait a minute. Let's look at what he did. Let's look at the people he led. Look, look at the difference he made. He did that because of his unshakable belief in himself and his ability to um, show people. And this is what I feel designers and architects do for a living is we show people what they didn't know was possible and now they can't live without it. That's our job. That's our job. And so many designers today have abdicated that responsibility. Yeah, you're so right. It's it's so interesting. So a couple of years ago, and by the way, the irreverence I think is one of the is one of the superpowers that that maybe you uh, you you got gifted to you through through uh, genes and inheritance. Um, a couple of years ago, I I constructed a, a panel. Uh, it was basically a case study in the abstract, a world without Frank Lloyd Wright. So do you, it, I got, I kind of got this idea. Do you remember, um, what was that movie? It was yesterday. Was it called yesterday? It was a movie about this one guy who was the only guy on the, in the world who remembered the songs of the Beatles. And so he basically oh, was a singer songwriter yes, and he went yes, and started yes. singing the songs and he just became huge with the yeah. songs of the Beatles. So I, I got this idea and I, and the, the thought was let's bring together architects and historians to talk about what the world of architecture would actually look like without Frank Lloyd Wright. And it was a fascinating conversation. I will send you a link to the episode because I, um, I think you'll enjoy it. And I, I was listening to some of the things in preparation for our conversation. And while I was listening in the car, I was, I'm in Tulsa, I mentioned doing a design house project and I was driving around and less than a mile from where we are in, in Tulsa, I turned a corner on a street called Birmingham. And right in front of me is a Frank Lloyd Wright. And I looked it up and apparently there is just this really weird, wacky backstory about a food processor heiress who owns the property, who lives in Austin, who basically just walked out of the house like 20 years ago, locked the door and hasn't been back since. Oh my God. And you know, as well as I do that, that Frank Lloyd Wright properties don't do well. No, unless... they have to be maintained actively. <laughs> and apparently some, so many people have tried to buy this thing, but she won't sell it. Melissa, she won't sell it, but it's, it's on a corner. It's not gated or fenced. Uh, when I drive by again, I'll take a picture and send it to you. It is, the, it is, it is the craziest thing. Um, and I believe it's the only one that's, that's in, um, that's in town, but, but there's also a lot of Bruce Goff uh, and Bruce Goff was widely lauded by, by your great grandfather as being one yeah. of the greatest American architects. It's really, it's a very cool city here in Tulsa, Art Deco, that sort of thing. But I was thinking about that and um, something you said kind of triggered that for me a little bit, this idea that the aphrodisiac behind engaging designers to sort of find their own superpower within, I don't feel like a lot of creatives today think about their work in those terms, like what's missing. Instead, they're looking at what's already out there and how to recreate it and perhaps do it in a different way. And it's not so much about doing what somebody else does better, it's about what, doing what you do 
in a creative and unique way and, and making people realize that, that it's, it, they can't live their lives without it. That's the key is not, is, is showing that piece of you that they can't live without and having that belief that they can't live without it. And, and the belief is everything. And it's very, very rare. And it's something great grandfather had in spades. Um, and it's really what empowered and enabled him to achieve what he did achieve. Even when he hit those dry spells and he had 20 year dry spells, he still just kept going. He had this beacon, this light within him that he held out here that just drove him forward. My mother had the same thing. Do you think that was nature or nurture? I'm pretty, well, you know, in his case, it could have been nurture. In my mother's case, it would have been nature. Okay. Um, my, my grandmother, who was Wright's daughter, was wonderfully creative, wonderfully gifted, but one of the most unhappy women you'd ever meet. And in listening recently to her brother John's tale about his father, he talks about his sister, Catherine. And it was so enlightening for me because I was like, oh, she was always like that. Brilliant. So I, I think she took a, a big hit emotionally when her, her dad ran off with the neighbor's wife and kids and all that. I, I don't think she ever really recovered from that. She was very bitter. Her husband was a delight. Papa was phenomenal and mother was a daddy's girl, but her mother, my grandmother just really knew how to beat somebody down <laughs> on a consistent basis. She did it with my mother. She did it with us. She was just not, not pleasant to be around. So I think in my mother's case, it was nature, but in great grandfathers, it could have been nurture because of all the stories we hear about his mother and the foible blocks and all of that, but not. So I, I, maybe it's, maybe it's both. Yeah. Not well, and, and what's interesting is I, I think it's one of those things that goes back to you and what you do, because, you know, I, I feel strongly there is, there is something about an amazing creative and seeing the work that they do. There is something magical and special and, and so cherished in the person that can teach, uplift, and coax or design whisper, whatever you have to do to get the <laughs> to get that creative to do what they do so well. There's a certain value in that. And and right now I think we're in we're in a very interesting time. You talk about the the dry spells. Um, Frank Lloyd writes 20 year dry spells. People don't talk about that. They talk about the projects. They talk about falling water. They talk about you know all of the you know the Biltmore and, and the new opening of the Bilt. They talk about that, um, and, and I guess rightly so. But right now, there's a lot of people who are in the midst of one of those dry spells as we come out of a very difficult time. Not at all dissimilar to how challenging it was after the recession in 0809 not dissimilar, I would imagine, to what it was like being in the Northeast uh, after 9-11. Uh, I wasn't really there for it because um, I was a, I was a teenager, but I imagine coming out of the 70s and the inflation 
era um, had to be incredibly traumatic. Coming out of World War II had to be incredibly traumatic. These are not new concepts. We've had a pandemic before. It was just 100 years ago, and, and none of us were there for it. I think it's important for people to realize these are not new concepts. Tr trouble, strife, and, and hard times are not new. As a matter of fact, they're probably the, the one thing you can count on. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not if you're going to experience it, because you are. It's how you endeavor to get through it. And I feel like that's kind of where you come from with what you teach your clients. It is because I look at things as the way you just said that I go, it's how you thrive through challenging times. Cause I don't believe in survival. Survival is boring. Survival is to me a waste of time. I'm all about thriving. So I look at it also in how can you respond, not react because when you're reactionary, everything around you controls you. When you put yourself in a space of responding, that's a place of responsibility because you respond with ability. And too many creatives in my experience are very reactionary and not as responsible as they could be. And they allow what's happening outside of them to determine how they will be internally. And I prefer to take my interior experience and make that my exterior world. And that's what great grandfather did. And he did it brilliantly. No matter what was going on out here, he was rock solid in himself and in his unshakable beliefs and in his drive and his desire and his creativity. And he could create at any given moment, regardless of what was happening out here, which is also why he thrived when he had someone else running those parts and pieces outside of himself. Even if he did put his works of art out in the rain. Yes. So listen, and Here's the disclaimer for the conversation that we're having now. And I think it's important because if you're new to Convo by Design, there's a couple of things you should probably understand. Um, nobody that is on the show comes on because they paid to be on the show. The people that I talk to, I talk to because I truly value what it is that they do. And I love them. We do have partners and all of our partners that you, that you hear me talk about, those are vetted as well. But I think it's important to note that, Melissa, you're, you're on the show because I am a true fan. Um, I, I love what you do. I think you provide one of those services that is not uh, readily available to, to most of the creatives that we work with. And I think it's really important service. And I, and I think it's, it's of tremendous value. So that's, that's the main reason why I wanted to have you on today. So I'm, I'm appreciative that you came on. I love what you do. And I, and I appreciate your work. Well, thank you. I, you really enjoyed the conversation and, and love what you're doing for our industry because you are facilitating the conversations, the introductions and the connections that we all so badly want. Thanks, Melissa. Thanks for the time. This is great. Thank you so much. We are living in a time of incredible growth, both technologically and creatively, with respect to interior design, exterior design, and architecture. There is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful, incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, 
vibrant colors to fit any design style or aesthetic. A history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community. So you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living, their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. Thank you, Melissa. I, I enjoyed our chat and really appreciate the time. And thank you for listening to the podcast, subscribing to the show, and sending me your emails. I, I love your stories. I love your designer suggestions. I love hearing about properties in your neighborhood that you think deserve a little love. It's been really cool. Thank you. Keep them coming. It's summer in 2022 and travel is in full swing. So you are going to be hearing episodes of the show from New York, Texas, and LA events in the coming weeks and months ahead. You're also going to be hearing episodes showcasing the work done on the 2022 Remote Design House Tulsa, a project I'm extremely proud of and really looking forward to sharing with you. The first two episodes are coming featuring designers Gail Davis and John McLean. Separate spaces, very, very different, as different as the designers themselves, but equally spectacular. And I'm so looking forward to sharing them with you. I think you're going to love this. Thanks again for taking part of your busy day to spend with me and some of the most wonderful designers in the world. Until next week, be well and take today first. Mm